Today is our last week, uh, week number nine. I'm a little disappointed that we didn't make it all the way to ten, um, but that's the way it is. We're going to stop at nine. There are still a couple books left on the, the table in the back if you didn't get one or you want to gift one. Uh, they're back there for $15 because there's a lot in the book that we didn't get to. Over the weeks that we have gone through these, these messages, we've talked about what is worship, we talked about why we worship, we talked about who we worship, and we talked about how we worship. And those are the questions that we started to answer. And we understand that worship is singing, just what we did, but it also touches every area of our lives. It's what we were created for. It's imprinted in our DNA that we worship this awesome, relational, inexhaustible God that you and I will never fully comprehend even throughout eternity we're never going to get to the end of who God is. Okay, that's how big and how great he is. And last week we started talking about how to worship. Um, And we talked about total worship. We worship with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength, with everything in us. And now today we're going to finish that conversation about how we worship with a message that I've entitled From Faith to Faith. From Faith to Faith. If you've got a Bible, go to 2 Kings chapter 3. Um, And it's interesting that you brought up the puddles and the water all over the ground because we're going there to 2 Kings chapter 3. Um, That's exactly the passage that we're going to look at today. And I really just felt like all week long that um, maybe this wasn't the right passage for this because Jeff doesn't bring this out in his book. I just felt like the Lord wanted us here. And uh, so um, I think he does. So if you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 308. Uh, From faith to faith, we're going to talk from 2 Kings chapter 3. I want to start by defining faith, though. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, maybe you're really familiar with that verse and you just don't know it. We live by faith, not by sight. So we live by what he says, not what I see or feel. Okay, so whatever this says, not what I'm experiencing, that's what is true. That's what I live by. So when we talk about worship, How do we worship? We worship by faith or from faith because faith is where we go. So if we're talking about singing songs, worship, then I don't worship, I don't raise my hands, I don't clap, I don't sing, I don't shout because I feel like it or because the atmosphere calls for it. I do it because he's worthy of it. I mean, when the President of the United States walked into the the house and uh, gave his State of the Union, people did this, didn't they? Even people who hate him did this because they're showing respect for the office. They're clapping, okay? So it's a natural reaction. You do it not because you felt like doing it. You did it because of who he is. So it's totally perfectly acceptable for us to understand God is so great that if I would clap for the President of the United States, I ought to clap for him. And he's not more worthy after the third song than he is after the first note, And so how I worship isn't dependent on how I feel or what I see. It's totally dependent on who he is. And some of us, our worship is stagnant because we really haven't come to encounter him. I mean, little God, little worship. Big God, big worship. I'm I'm so not kidding right now. The larger he becomes in our minds, the greater our worship becomes. Not because we're fanatics, not because we're emotionalists, but because we serve a great and awesome God who's worthy of it. I mean, you clap at the end of a song when people play. Why wouldn't you clap for God? I'm just 
you know, just a question. So if we're talking not about singing and we're talking about every other part of our lives, our work, our relationships, our entertainment, our money, again, we worship from faith. From faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, defines faith for us. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the confident assurance in events not yet seen. Biblical hope is certain. To hope in the Lord is to be fully assured, fully certain. Faith is not a mindless stab in the dark. Faith is not just crossing our fingers and hoping for the best. Faith is sure. Faith is a reasoned, careful, deliberate, intentional thought on God and upon God's promises. And 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. That means when Christ died and said, It is accomplished, He took every promise of God and He stamped it with a yes. It's done. And through Christ, you and I now say amen. So be it through him for the glory of God. For the glory of God. Not so you can be healed, so you can run off and do all the things you want to do and not think about God, but for the glory of God. Our healing, our deliverance, our restoration, the power of God moving in our lives and in the lives of people around us is not just for us to feel good. It's for the glory of God. I don't want to waste one drop of blood. But faith is not just something in our brains. Faith is action. Because faith is positive certainty, it's expressed in action. If I'm certain something is going to happen, then I'll act on it. If I'm not certain, then I won't. When the, weather, when the forecaster says, we're going to get 10 inches of snow, and, it, and we're certain... Okay, then we go out and we make sure the snowblower's ready. We prepare for it. But if we're not certain, we may be like, eh, we'll see. And then when we go out and when it does come and we go out and then the snowblower won't start, we're like, oh, I should have done this. Faith is a lot like that. James chapter 2 says, faith, if it is alone and includes no action, is dead. Someone will say, one person has faith, another person has actions. But my answer is, show me how anyone can have faith without actions. I will show you my faith by my actions. Can't you see his, Abraham's faith, and his actions work together? His faith was made perfect through his actions. He wasn't saved by his works, but his faith was proved by his works. See, if we come in here and we have faith that God wants to heal us, then we'll do what James says. We'll call the elders of the church and ask them to pray over us. And I don't care if we have to ask them every single week. We do it because we have faith in his word. Well, no, my faith is I just ask once. Well, what about that widow that kept asking for justice day after day after day after day after day after day? And Jesus saying, will not God avenge his elect who cry out to him day and night, even though he bears long with them? And then he says, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Will he really find people who believe this is what God desires? And so every day I'm going to ask 
Every day I'm going to keep because it's justice. It's due me. He already sealed it. It's written down. It's owed to me. I'm not saying God owes it to me. He doesn't owe me anything. But Jesus died to make it available to me. It's owed to me. And anything that's trying to keep it from coming at me isn't God. Because he already did it. So we worship from faith. We don't wait for our feelings to act. We lead our feelings by acting. That's worship. The first quote in our chapter this week for the the Awakening Pure Worship book is by Bill Johnson, one of my favorites. If you only do what you feel like doing, you are not a believer, you are a feeler. If you only do what you feel like doing, you are not a believer, you're a feeler. Because faith, I know, isn't it? I wish I could take credit for it, but I can't. Faith is certainty in the promises of God, and because of those promises, I'm going to act based on them. So 2 Kings chapter 3, you thought I forgot. I didn't. Here's a story. There's a king of Israel named Jehoram. Jehoram is a wicked king, the Bible tells us right here in 2 Kings chapter 3. There's a king in Judah, the southern part of Israel. Um, His name is Jehoshaphat. He's a good king. Okay? Keep that in mind. Jehoram, Israel, wicked king. Most of them were wicked. Judah, uh, southern kingdom, most of them were good kings. And so uh, most of them, not all of them. So Jehoshaphat down there. There's a nation of Moab. Moab is under the reign of Israel, but they rebel. So the king of Israel wants to go and make them submit again. So he asks Jehoshaphat and says, hey, would you come fight with me? Jehoshaphat's like, sure, I'll come fight with you. We're brothers. Okay, let's go. The king of Edom joins them. And so now we're in chapter 3, verse number 9. Verse number 9. It says, so the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout route for seven days. So they're going to Israel or going to Moab. They're going to fight seven days. And there was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel, the wicked king, said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. That's what wicked people do. They go by what they see and feel. There's no water. God wants to destroy us. That's what he does. After all, that's what we see. That's what we feel. But, thank goodness for Jehoshaphat. But Jehoshaphat, the good king, the righteous king, says, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? In other words, let's not just overreact to our situation here. Let's find out what the Lord's saying. Okay? So one of the servants of the king of Israel, I love the king of Israel's servant says, there's Elisha. He's the son of Shaphat. He's here. And he used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. That means he was Elijah's servant. So Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. In other words, you don't seek God when everything is good in your life. Why are you seeking God now? He's like, I don't have anything to say to you. 
That's what he says. I mean, that's kind of sad, but that's what he says. Then the king of Israel says, For the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. He repeats it. This is all, this is what, God's going to kill us. This is what he wants for us. So Elisha says, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. See, sometimes it's not what you know, but it's who you know that gets you access. And so because of Jehoshaphat, he's going to get a word from the Lord. Now, here's the thing. None of us in this room deserve access. But if you know him, you're granted access. You're not granted access because you've been living right. You're not granted access. You're not granted healing. You're not granted the spirit because you kept the law. You're granted it because of what he's done for you. Okay? So make sure you take the access. So then in verse 15, bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. Um, I just want to say that some of us are so afraid of emotionalism that, you know, we're, we're not going to worship, we're not going to lift our hands. I mean, yeah, of course, if I sing and lift my hands, I start to feel better, but that's just emotionalism. Depression, anxiety, fear, unbelief, that's all emotionalism too. And so the question is, do you want to stay there or do you want to get somewhere else? And sometimes worship is how you get there. Sometimes you just start lifting your hands, and sometimes you just start singing, and sometimes you, not just here in this room, in the car, wherever you are, you put in some earbuds at work if you're allowed, and you just start worshiping. Because if your mind is set on all the yuck, good things are not going to come out of that. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. That's in the scripture. And so if you're going to think on the yuck, that's what's going to be produced. And some of you, all you think about is the yuck. You wonder why when you go to work, all you see is the things that people are doing wrong. You wonder why when you go into businesses in Huron, all you ever see is the bad service. Well, because most of the time, all you think about is the yuck. And so that's all you see. Sure did get quiet here today. So we're going to keep moving on because we've got to get to the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is this from Elijah. Make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you will not see wind, nor will you see rain, yet the valley will be filled with water so that you, your cattle, <coughs> and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. <laughs> I love that the King Jehoram is all like, we're going to die, God wants us to die. And the word of the Lord is, this is a simple matter. <clears throat> he will also <clears throat> deliver the Moabites into your hand. <clears throat> Excuse me. And you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city, and you shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by the way of Edom and the land was filled with water. And when all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms and the older were gathered and they stood at the border. Then they rose up early in the morning and the sun was shining on the water and the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood and they said, this is blood. The kings have surely struck swords and they've killed one another. Now therefore, Moab to the spoil. 
when they came to the camp of Israel, Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites so that they fled before them and they entered the land, killing the Moabites. Remember when we talked about the water all over the ground, the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping, the valley of death, the valley of dry desert? You make it a place of springs. You make it a place of springs. Here's the thing. You and I can't produce water. We can't make it a place of springs. So what's the psalmist saying? How do, we, how do we do this? Well, we make the valley full of ditches. And some of your translations may not say that because here's why. That's an, an idiom in the Hebrew vernacular. That's like us saying it's raining cats and dogs. If I came in here today or someday in the summer, and said, hey guys, man, it's raining cats and dogs out there. No one would run to the window and be like, what? Cats and dogs? I mean, you would understand, okay, that I meant it's just raining really hard. And that's what this Hebrew idiom is all about. Make this valley full of ditches just means there's certainty that water is about to come. And I don't know that the people of Israel actually had to dig ditches to contain the water that was coming. Water was coming. That was the promise. But here's what we see according to faith. This, this passage, this idiom, should teach us something about faith. We can't produce water, but we can dig ditches. In other words, you can't make something happen in your life, but you can act in faith to prepare for it. Remember Mr. Bridges from Facing the Giants who prayed all through the school for revival and then revival came and he talked about the farmer and which one of the farmers actually believed God was going to answer for, with rain, the one that prepared for it. Mark Batterson in Draw the Circle, remember, told us the story about the drought in Mississippi and the prayer meeting that was called and the farmer who came to the prayer meeting wearing waders. That's faith. It says God's going to bring rain. Well, what if he doesn't? Then you just look stupid. Okay, I'm willing to look stupid because of my faith in God. And some of us have been lied to and said, well, you're just being presumptuous or you're, just, you're acting like you have, you've been given all authority of heaven and earth. Why not be a little presumptuous? You're not being presumptuous of God. You're being presumptuous with what God has said. Only God can send the rain, but I believe he expects you and I to dig ditches. If you want God to do the super, you need to be willing to do the natural. You don't have to do it all, but you have got to take that step of faith to speak life, to dig that ditch in your life. So we worship from faith. We don't wait till we are done feeling depressed or done feeling anxious to take the step of faith. We take the step of faith. My job is not to get rid of all of this sickness or all of this anxiety or all of this stuff. My job is to walk the path of faith. I worship from a place of faith. But we don't worship from faith alone. We worship from faith to faith what I mean by that is, this isn't just we discipline ourselves to do what God says, and by George, we're just going to do it. Suck it up, buttercup. That's what we got to do. We're just going to do what God says. Okay? That's, that's not what we're talking about. I mean, you got to understand it this way. Discipline is good, and discipline is important. Okay? But discipline is the lowest level of the relationship. 
If you're married, some days you have to discipline yourself to love your spouse. You have to, okay? Because you don't always feel lovey towards each other. Some days you really don't feel much of anything except maybe the opposite of love. But you discipline yourself to love them. Not because that's what you're going to do for the rest of your life. I'm just going to discipline myself to love them. No, I'm doing it because I know that if I discipline myself to love my spouse, eventually my emotions will catch up with me, and then the love will actually be expressed out of passion, desire, emotion, not just discipline. So it's, it, there's nothing wrong with discipline. Discipline is necessary. It's important. But we were never meant to love God just with discipline. I'm not saying we just worship from a place of discipline, from a place of faith. We worship from a place of faith to move in faith, to grow in faith, so that our our faith actually expands and grows and becomes more full than it was before. But too many of us are waiting for something else before we act. And if you did that in your marriage relationship, well, I'm going to wait until I feel love to act in love toward my spouse, you're in trouble. Really, you are. I mean, that's why we say for better or worse, for richer, for poorer, for sickness and in health, because there's just days you don't feel like loving, but I'm still going to act in love. And some of us are waiting for, you know, I'm not, God, I'll take that step of faith as soon as you do this. God, I'll take that step of faith as soon as I feel better. And then we wonder why nothing ever changes. I mean, we, we're in relationships with other people, and God, I'll forgive them as soon as, you know, the, the sting wears off. The sting never wears off. Because if you don't forgive and you don't draw near, then the sting is never going away. And that relationship just stays severed. I mean, that's... That's where we're going next in, in Unoffendable, and I'm, I'm excited. You're going to want to be here for this one because this, it's going to tie in so much with what Awakening Pure Worship is all about. So we act in faith. We worship from a place of faith to start moving down the faith highway, focusing on who God is, what God says, so that God does his part and I do my part. I mean, all I can do is dig ditches. I can't make the valley full of water. But I'm going to make sure that when the water comes, there's ditches to contain it. Because I don't want it to flow right in and out. I want it to stay in my life. And so I'm going to dig ditches. And some of you are like, I don't know what that means. It means different things at different times. It means little by little, God is working in your life, helping you dig ditches so that when his answer comes, it's ready. Sometimes it's just changing our perspective. Sometimes the reason that we can't see God is because our problem is so big. And the reason our problem is so big is because our God is so small. And what we need to do is start acting in faith until our God becomes bigger and our problem becomes smaller. Let me say it this way. Listen to this. What is authentic faith? The cultivation of an optimistic outlook on life with a kind of spirituality attached to it? A holy hoping for the best? Is this how you think of faith? Authentic faith is the confident assurance in events not yet seen. Faith is not a call to believe in things when common sense tells you not to. 
Faith is not a mindless stab in the dark. It is not a crossing of the fingers and hoping for the best. It is not a leap into apparent nothingness. It's a word that speaks of reasoned, careful, deliberate, intentional thought. Thought upon what? God and his promises. If you are absolutely gripped by the coming realities that have been promised to you by God, then how you live your life in the present will be radically different than if you did not possess such certainty. This is what faith is, my friends. Positive certainty expressed in action. Authentic faith is not merely believing in God. It is believing God. Taking God at his word, living in obedience to his revelation, whatever the cost, because you know down deep in your bones that God will always do what he says, that his speaking is his doing. It is an abiding assurance in God and his promises that animates you to persevere in your obedience to him. Do you wish to be a more consistently obedient, steadily persevering Christian? A stronger Christian? A more courageous and outspoken Christian? Then you need to strengthen your faith. Your faith instinctively strengthens in direct proportion to the expansion of the object of your faith. You expand your understanding of the object of your faith and faith itself will obediently follow. The object of your faith, if indeed you are a Christian, is Jesus Christ and all of his promises. Is your faith weak? It is owing to the fact that you don't know the object of your faith well enough. But when Jesus Christ becomes progressively bigger, or better yet, your understanding of who he is progressively conforms to reality, your faith will become increasingly stronger. But how does that happen? by immersing yourself in the faith-arousing Word of God. Read of Jesus Christ. The same powerful Word that long ago brought the universe to life is the same Word that can bring you to life and furnish you with a faith that is truly and authentically Christian. A.W. Tozer says it this way, a low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils. And a high view of God is the solution to 10,000 problems. See, when we worship from faith to faith, the object of our faith being God begins to grow. And then ultimately, our faith itself begins to grow. It's not about, you know, well, if I... If it's not, we make it about emotions. We make it about singing, clapping, shouting, dancing, lifting our hands. Some people do it, some people don't. Um, but here's the thing when you worship God, the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. Inhabits means he sits down in it. So we're not just talking about, again, this room. When you're at work and you're overwhelmed by your circumstances and you just start declaring who God is whether it's just in a song or whether it's just the truth that you know from the word, you're actually creating a seat for God to sit in. 
so that he becomes bigger in your life. And the nearer we get to him, the larger he becomes. But if we're going to fix our eyes only on what we can see, then our problems are going to be bigger than our God. And so the point of me worshiping, whether it's through obedient action or by singing or by expressing my faith to him, is so that he becomes bigger in my life. It's to get me to a place where I see him clearer. I mean, I can either choose to sit here in despair and self-pity or fear, overwhelmed by my circumstances, or I can just start acting in faith. I can just start worshiping in faith and start down the path of faith, believing that's where we're going. But too many of us just respond to the circumstance as it comes and not where God is taking us. So we respond at work to the crisis instead of responding or looking for God. you got to look for him to find him. And you've been given the ability to look for him. Isaiah chapter 40 says, those who wait for the Lord, that word wait means expect, look for, and hope in him. Those who wait for the Lord are not just those who, well, I guess he's not coming Guess someday he's coming, you expect him, you look for him. How do you do that? You just start digging ditches. You believe God's going to answer this prayer and I'm going to dig a ditch and prepare for it. My finances are a mess and I can't get out of debt, but you know what I'm going to start doing? I'm going to start doing the debt snowball by Dave Ramsey. I'm just going to start getting out of debt. I mean, there's no way I can do it all, but I can do something, and so I'm going to just start down that path, and I'm going to trust God. Some of us, we wait for God. Every day we run out and check the mailbox waiting for the check to come. We won't tithe. We won't take care of our debt. We won't cut our expenses, but, you know, we're waiting for that check to come. That's not faith. I mean, faith is believing that God's going to do what you can, but if you're not going to do what you can, if you're not going to dig a ditch, you're not expecting God to show up. I mean, some of us are waiting for that relationship to be healed, but we're not, we're not ready to, we're not going to do it. I'm just going to sit here and wait. I'm going to wait for God to change how I feel. I'm going to wait for God to change that other person. Because, you know, that other person is the problem. I'm not the problem. It's always that other person. There's a chapter in our book, Unoffendable. You're going to love it. It's called, Everyone is an Idiot Except Me. That's what it's called. Because that's kind of how we live our life. We think everyone else is the problem. You're going to love this book, I'm telling you. It's just in your face and uh, just a little, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Just keep reminding yourself that. He's trying to make you laugh. So the point of all of it is to come face to face with God. Psalm 103 verse 7 says, God revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. That's not because that's what God wanted. It's not because God's desire was to he, he set apart Moses to reveal his character to, and he set apart Israel just to reveal his ways to. No, it's because that's what they wanted. That's the relationship they chose. The people of Israel were content to stay at a distance. Moses says, no, I want to go near. Remember, he wanted to make them a kingdom of priests. He didn't want Aaron to be the priest. He wanted to make them a kingdom of priests for the display of his glory. Now, he knew that couldn't happen under the old covenant. He knew it wouldn't happen. But that's what he means for us. We're a chosen generation, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Oh, what did I forget? A royal priesthood. 
That's what he's made us. And so Moses drew near, and the people stayed at a distance. Did Moses feel afraid to draw near? Probably. But Moses knew God was good. Moses knew he wasn't. He, the people of Israel felt like God, they were going to die in his presence. But you know what Moses knew? I'm not going to die in his presence. I feel like I'm going to die in his presence. But he's promised to bring us into the promised land, so I can't die in his presence. He's invited me to draw near, so I can't die in his presence. So I'm going to draw near. And that, as a result, he revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. Jeff says it this way in the book. When we know how to approach God in worship with extravagance, like a child, when we don't feel like it, and with great big God perspective, it means understanding the priority of seeking his face over seeking his hands. Now, if you've never heard that phrase before, when we talk about seeking the hand of God, we're seeking his gifts, his miracles, his provision, his rewards, his power. And God tells us to ask for those things. He tells us to do it. But when we talk about seeking his face, it seems it's, it's beyond just asking for his deeds. It's wanting to know his character, his ways. We're seeking him for who he is. And when you seek God for what he gives, sometimes you get what he gives. But what he gives always goes away. I mean, every person that Jesus healed on earth died. What he gives eventually goes away. I mean, he may give you a check, woo, but you're going to spend it. Eventually, it's going to go away. Everything he gives goes away. But when you seek him, he never goes away. So not, you don't just get the healing, you get the healer. You don't just get the provision, you get the provider. So we seek him. And then when, when, when I don't get what I expect, when I, when I don't get, the, the promise doesn't come the exact way I thought it would come, in the time I thought it would come, I'm not just going after the promise. I'm going after the promiser. And the more I go after the promiser, the more I'm okay waiting for the promise to arrive. And even against all hope, I keep hoping. Because the reality is, sometimes it doesn't go like we thought. See, you and I have a tendency to always pray for safety and prosperity. That's what we pray for, isn't it? I mean, we always pray for healing. We always pray for everything to go well. God, on this trip, we don't want to break down. We want everything to go smooth. We want all of these things. I mean, nothing wrong with it. But how many of you know those prayers don't always happen like that? Sometimes you still break down. Sometimes stuff happens. In the, the book Unoffendable, Brant Hansen says this. L let me just whip your appetite again for this. We can actually make idols out of our families. Idols out of our families. Again, in a focus on the family subculture, it's hard to imagine how this could be. Families are good. Idols aren't made of bad things. They used to be fashioned out of trees or stone. Those aren't bad either. Idols aren't bad things. They're good things made ultimate. We make things ultimate when we see the true God as a route to these things or a guarantor of them. It sounds like heresy, but it's not. The very safety of our family can become an idol. God wants us to want him for him, not merely for what he can provide. 
And wanting him for what he, who he is and not what he provides doesn't mean we stop asking for the healing. Doesn't mean we stop asking for the restoration to take place. It just means the end game isn't what he provides. The end game is him. And no one can take him away from us. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and you were beaten. Sometimes you helped others who were suffering those same things. I mean, how many of us, the Bible tells us, pray for your leaders so it goes well with you. I mean, that's what we pray. God, give us good leaders so it goes well with us. We don't want to be beaten. We don't want to suffer. Look at this. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and you were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. Sometimes you were thrown into jail. And you, when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. Huh. When all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. How many of us are in that place of faith today? If the government came in and took everything we own, hey, we have rights. Are you looking for the provision or are you looking for the provider? Are you looking for the healing or are you looking for the healer? Because here's, here's the thing. You knew there were better things waiting for you. You knew there were better things waiting for you. So don't throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. You'll continue to act. Then you will receive all that he promised for in just a little while. <laughs> I love that. A day with the Lord is like a thousand years, so I don't know what a little while is. But in a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls are saved. That's what I believe about Restoration Church. That's who we are. I don't, well, Pastor Tom, I don't know that that's who we are. Yes, it is. Well, that's not what we did yesterday. I don't care. I don't even care how we worshiped this morning. I don't care what you did two minutes ago. This is who we are. See, awakened worshipers worship from faith to faith. We worship and we act based on the character of God and the promises of God. And we do not wait for our feelings or circumstances to change. We lead them. And so here's the thing. Some of you today are so overwhelmed and discouraged. You're like at the end of the light. I, I put on, uh, uh, as I was standing here praying this morning, I looked out and I saw the, the snow and I saw the mounds of snow and I saw all of the stuff out there. And when I looked out there, I mean, how many of you know, we, God, we're being tested. I don't know that God is testing us, but we're being tested. I mean, the Bible says don't complain about anything. And so we're being tested. I pray for you that your faith may not fail. But when I looked out, the promise that came to my mind was the promise God gave to Noah in Genesis chapter 8. You remember that promise? As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvesting. There will be summer and winter. And now we know we, that summer's coming. I mean, we joke about it. It's, summer's never going to come. But all of us actually believe 
It's going to come eventually. Because it, it's just, it's a promise. We just know it's coming. But some of us, I believe in this room right now, you're in a, you're in kind of a winter season of the soul. Okay? There's mounds of snow, and it's like it's just never going to end. And the question is, do you believe that all of the promises God has made are yes? Do you believe that if you continue to do what is good and you don't give up, you will reap a harvest? Do you believe it? And some of you just, you don't. Maybe there's just a glimmer of hope. Hope is stirring in your heart. Just fan it. Fan it. You're like, I don't. Pastor Tom, maybe I believe this much. <laughs> if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, that's all you need to get it started. And so here's what I want us to do. I want you to stand with me. Because I believe that some of you are in that place. And I want you right now, I want you to just close your eyes and I want you to just take a few moments. We've got a few moments left in this room together. If you want to put piano music on Bailey for me, Here's the thing, guys. You may be in a winter season of your soul, but here's what I know. Every promise of God is yes. It's yes. But the amen needs to be spoken by us. It needs to be spoken by us. And so today, you need to begin to respond to God. Maybe that means you need someone to pray for you. Maybe you need someone to pray with you. Maybe God put a specific person in your mind. Over the last couple of weeks, he's done this to me often where I feel like he's told me to go to a specific person and have them pray for me for something. And it's pretty humbling to do that when, when you don't know for sure, but you just, you just start doing it. And sometimes it's people that I don't even know how they're going to respond when I ask them, but I just ask them. And here's what I, here's what I want you to do. I want you to respond to God. I want you to begin to act. I want you to, to worship from a place of faith today. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song together to, to conclude this time. And I want you to just begin to worship him. Maybe it's all about just forgetting about every problem, every trial. Maybe it's about forgetting all of that. Maybe you're like King Jehoram and you're like, this is just my lot in life and I'm just, God, I'm just going to be this way all my life. And Maybe it's just time to get a word from God. Maybe it's time to draw near. Maybe it's time to grab a musician. And just let God begin to speak over your life today. And if you need someone to speak over you, you need someone to, to believe with you, our prayer team is here in the front. We're going to pray with you. Maybe you need to come and find a place to kneel. Maybe you need to just stand with your hands raised. Maybe you need to get on your face. Just respond to him. Draw near to him. And let him become bigger today than every one of your problems. Let him become bigger than every one of your problems right now. Let him become bigger. Begin to respond to him. Begin to respond to him. Bailey, if you can turn that up. If you want to sing, sing. If you need prayer, the prayer team is here. Don't wait. Don't wait. If there's a mustard seed of faith in your heart, just begin to act on it. Begin to dig a ditch. Begin to do what God lays on your heart to do. Don't try to make it rain. Just dig a ditch. Just dig a ditch. 
Presence, there's fullness of joy. Heaven is trembling in all of your wonder. Every promise is yes. Relationships are restored. Healing comes. All things are new. Found in your hands, fullness of joy. Every fear suddenly wiped away. Here in your his perfect love drives out fear. All of my gains now fade away. Every crown no longer on display. Go right here. Here in your presence. It's not about our performance. Come to the mercy seat. You're going to find mercy.
want you to get upset. <clears throat> I want you to declare who God is. That's what the next part of this song is all about. Declare who He is. He is who He says He is. Don't turn it down, Bailey. Keep it up. He is who He says He is. Trust in His Word. Trust in His promise. Declare His life. Declare His power over your circumstance, over your situation, over your need right now. He is wonderful. He is glorious. He is matchless in every way. There is no one like our God. Some of you, you need to declare it. You need to declare it. Stop carrying around your sickness, your disease, your, your nationality. Just begin to declare who he's, he's made all things new. He's made all things new. This is who he is. Come on, sing it out. Wonderful. in every way. Come on, sing it out. Sing it out. Sing it out. Sing it out. Come on, you got to get sick of where you are. You got to get sick of where you've been. you have for us. God, everything that Jesus purchased for us, we receive it right now. God, we receive it right now. God, we come right into your presence today. We come right into your throne room. God, and we come boldly, not because of what we've done, but because what was done for us. 
God, we know that the blood of Jesus speaks better than the blood of Abel. God, the the blood of Jesus doesn't cry out for vengeance. God, the, the blood of Jesus speaks of forgiveness. It speaks of life. And I pray right now life would flow to every person in this room. God, that every soul, that every spirit, that every physical body would live right now. God, we speak life, 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 life. Holy Spirit, awaken our hearts. Teach us to be awakened worshipers. Teach us us to be awakened worshipers. Teach us to apply everything we've learned about worship, what it is, why we do it, who you are, and how we worship. Teach us to apply it, not just when we gather together, but teach us to apply it every day of our lives. God, to live as awakened worshipers. Awakened worshipers. This is really the end of the service today, but I I just get a sense that some of you need to linger. Some of you need to respond to something that the Spirit's put in your heart that you haven't yet responded to. Our prayer team is gonna stay here in the front for a little while. If you still want someone to pray with you, we'd love that opportunity. Maybe you just need to sit here a little while longer till he gets bigger than your problem. This isn't a magic moment. It's just a place to begin. All afternoon, you're going to have to fight to be an awakened worshiper. Tomorrow morning when you get up, you're going to have to fight to be an awakened worshiper. But I pray that every time over these next few days that the wind takes your breath away because it's so far below zero, that you'd be reminded of the faithfulness of God in every promise that he's made. And something that used to drive you nuts last week is going to be a source of life for you this week. And so if you need to be dismissed, you can do that. Please do it quietly and let this be a place of prayer for those that need to linger just a little bit longer. Save your your visiting and your fellowship for out in the lobby area and then let those that just want to linger a little bit longer do that. God bless you as you go. Thank you for being here. Today, I pray God's richest blessing over your life. Live this week as an awakened worshiper, I pray.